Again, thank you to um, San Francisco Dharma Collected for the invitation to be part of this uh, series of talks and on wise action and how we show up in the world. And I, I called my talk uh, Standing Firm in the Dharma because that's what uh, the Dharma has enabled me to do is stand firm and act as a foundation as I move into the world and deal with what's uh, happening all the time. A number of years ago, I committed or made the commitment to be relevant in my teaching. And so there's sometimes there's this idea that there's the real world and then there's the meditation world and that they're separate and you're supposed to keep them separate. And that's not true. What I have found is that meditation I practice to enable me to be in the world and, and what's in the world is, is part of my practice. What my experience is, um, uh, I can't separate the two. It's, it's, uh, it's, it makes no sense. And um, the Dharma, actually one of the, one of the definitions of Dharma is the way it is, the way it is. And so I think that's really important. Um, and I've been sustained by the Dharma. And as I mentioned, and it's interesting because there's been pushback over the years. And as I've, as I've, I've, as I've brought um, the reality of the world into the Dharma hall, I had one person say once during a class I was teaching, that he hadn't come there for politics. And I wasn't talking about politics. I was talking about something that had happened in the world, whether it was, you know, the, the uh, uh, shooting in Orlando or the shooting at the church in Charlottesville or something that is so real and in our face. Or And he's like, that's eh, not what I'm here for. And it's like, I don't know what else there is. I don't know what else there is. And so um, it's really important. It's really important in my practice to, to make the out there in here all the same. So um, I feel really comfortable in that. And I have found a home in the Eightfold Path. And I have found a real home in uh, uh, the, the, the part of the Eightfold Path that talks about wise action, which is why I was tickled when they named this um, uh, series Wise Action, because I find that the precepts are a way to uh, move through the world with strength. And I also am, and so I feel really comfortable in that, and I feel really comfortable talking about that. And I was also um, thrilled that I saw somebody posted last week on Facebook, Analio. I don't know if you know who Analio is. He's a, he's a monk. I, he's a great scholar. Uh, he um, he wrote a book on the Satipatthana Sutta, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which is really really excellent if you've not seen it. And that was his PhD dissertation, which became a book. And he just he just put out an article last week, and it's called um, "Confronting Racism with Mindfulness." And so because he's a scholar, he did all this research. And I was just tickled because I'm not going to do this research. And he speaks Pali. I mean, he reads Pali and Chinese and he's an expert in all the texts. And he he went through this um, uh, 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 
he went through the texts, a lot of the suttas, and he brought out the, um, uh, he lifted up the texts that talked about how the Buddha was um, opposed to the caste system and back in the day. And it wasn't, the caste system wasn't as entrenched at that point, but there are a number of suttas where he points out that there's no difference among human beings. There's difference among birds and animals and other critters, but human beings all have this ability to awaken. There's, there's just no difference. There's this real teaching of equality there. And there's another sutta that's one of my favorites, the one where, uh, you know, we're told that um, just as we care about ourselves deeply, other, all other humans care about themselves just as deeply. So we should treat other human beings as, as preciously as we treat ourselves. I'm paraphrasing that, but there's again, that teaching of equality. And so there's that, um, that foundation in Buddhism and he, and he has all these suttas that pointed out. And he also talked about um, mindfulness is as a tool, and I loved it and when Katie was reading the introduction to this, um, uh, uh, to this class, that mindfulness is a tool for uh, internal awakening. It's internal practice, and it's really important to begin to um, see how we are conditioned and that we have these fixed ideas and that it can be used in this process of seeing how we are impacted by um, conditioning, by the systemic conditioning, the, 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 the systemic racism and systemic, all kinds of systemic oppression that is, that is driven by the greed, hatred, and delusion of the world we live in. And so it's, um, it's really important that, and I mean, mindfulness is this ex, ex, tool that we use and he and he and he says a few things and he quotes a few people he says um, it's a clear there's a clear need for those not directly suffering from racial oppression or oppression to broaden their perspectives through mindfulness and become fully aware of the larger context so we can see how we are internally um, impacted by this conditioning and we also turn outward to see how the um, uh, the world is impacted by this conditioning. And um, he says, although from a Buddhist perspective, the aspiration for non-harm um, would already suffice for arousing a sincere concern about directing mindfulness to the consequences of racial bias, it can additionally be helpful to keep in mind the broader repercussions of racial oppression. And just right now, we're seeing that with the, the um, disproportional impact of COVID-19 on, on, on people of color in this country because of the economic and the, the historical um, um, uh, prejudice and bigotry and systemic disenfranchisement of people of color, black, black people, brown people, uh, non-white people. So to see how that impacts and this racism impacts everyone, um, it's really important uh, to recognize that. So 
this practice is teaching us that it's not just internal, but it's also external mindfulness to see how we are impacted and again, bringing it out to how it's impacting everyone. And then there's this one other quote from this book, Deep Diversity. So there is clearly thus, there is thus clearly a need to take responsibility and become active. Um, given that in a society where racism exists, it is not enough to be non-racist. For real transformation to occur, one has to actively challenge discrimination in all its forms. You know, we have to be aware of our biases, and then we have to be aware of the biases and how they impact out in the world. It's incredibly important. So mindfulness, this practice of mindfulness is how we do that. This sitting on the cushion, which seems like we're navel gazing, but we begin to see how we're entangled, we're enmeshed in this, uh, just because of how we're, uh, 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 the society we're grown up in, in our families, the things we hear, the things we read. Um, I sat a retreat with the nuns from Aloka Vihara, and I know the nuns, they have been involved with the San Francisco Dharma Collective, they're great. and. Um, Aya Nanda Bodhi is Welsh, she's from the UK, and uh, Aya Santachita is Austrian, and they became U.S. citizens in December, and Aya Santachita said, we're U.S. citizens now, so we're taking on the cultural karma. So we have this cultural karma that we're part of, and that we have to um, um, uh, pay attention to. So uh, we all have that, and... Um, how do we go about developing that? Um, how do we utilize this internal awakening and how do we go about external awakening? Seeing internally and seeing externally, paying attention internally and paying attention externally. So beginning to see how, um, uh, well, first of all, you just start where you are and um, seeing the, oppression that exists, seeing the systemic oppression that exists in our, in our world, um, really paying attention, putting aside our fixed views and seeing the water we swim in. That's really important. And there's a lot of that happening today. There are so many resources, so many resources out there. And I know you can avail yourself of those at any time. But mindfulness is not just about that. Mindfulness in, uh, is very important in helping us to hold the emotions that arise as well. Um, it's so easy to get into a place of spiritual bypass, and that's what happens. Sometimes we use spirituality as a way to not feel and say, oh, you know what, um, we are all one or whatever the, the, the thing is. Um, uh, I've had pushback on that when we had, um, when we were at against the stream and we started a people of color group and people are going, but we're all one and we have this and we started a queer group and they're like, Oh, but we're all one. And, and it's like, yeah, but you have to understand there's the absolute where we're all one and there's no difference. And yes. And then there's the relative, there's the reality of the world we live in, which is, um, driven by greed, driven by hatred, driven by delusion. 
And there's a lot of greed and there's a lot of hatred and there's a lot of delusion right now. There has been, and, and it's in our faces right now. So to notice that, to pay attention to that. And so um, being able to, mindfulness enables us to sit with the emotions that might be arising, the feelings that we may not want to hear, that we, excuse me, that we may not want to feel. Um, grief. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of mourning. And this practice gives us the ability to hold that or to touch it. Sometimes it's so overwhelming, you know, we have to just maybe put our foot in the water and then bring it out. Hold it, touch it for the first time. Bring that friendliness to it. Bring that compassion to it. And grief is so important. It, what is it? There was a man named um, Mark Brackett who wrote a book on grief, and I heard him with a in a podcast with Brene Brown, and he said, "Grief is the heart's natural response to loss, and we grieve to allow ourselves to feel the truth of our pain. And when we sit on the cushion." with turning off the distractions, sometimes grief shows up. Sometimes grief shows up when we're just walking around. How do you hold it? How do you make space for it without turning away from it? It's so important. And mindfulness is the practice that enables us to hold that. It's true. And then another, another thing to hold is anger. That's also incredibly present right now. You know, and I, and I hear a lot that people have been taught, they grow up in families that say anger is not okay. And somehow we get the idea, and this is Buddhist, Buddhism has an interesting rap about um, there's no desire and there's no, you know, we, basically you're robots. And if you're not a robot, you're not a good Buddhist. And that's nonsense because we feel. We're human beings. I'm not awakened yet, so I'm still going to have these feelings. I, I'm practicing. but um, So we feel anger. Anger shows up. Anger absolutely shows up. Rage shows up. I talked to, there's a lot of rage. How, but how do you hold that without being consumed by it? This practice of mindfulness has enabled me to not be consumed by things. It's to hold it wisely. Um, you know, and it can be a spark to action, but you don't want to be consumed by it. There's a teacher, um, uh, the Reverend James Lawson, who I've, uh, who's down here in LA, but he's been teaching nonviolence uh, and social action and social justice for years. He worked with um, Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King in the 50s and 60s, and he talks about, and I think he got this from Gandhi, he talks about not becoming that which you're fighting against. Don't become, don't start, you know, taking on the characteristics of, the, of what you're fighting against, against the oppressive, uh, the oppressors. It's really important and mindfulness helps you do that. Paying attention to what's present and holding it. I've had anger hang out in my chest for months and months and months at a time. And I'm like, okay. Here's anger, but I'm not going to walk around punching people. You know, I, I think this is my, um, my theory is that a lot of those folks who have went to the, you know, state capitals with their guns and said, open up, I need a haircut or, or whatever it is, they 
are not able to hold their sit with their emotions because this this is a we're we're in a really painful time there's a lot of really powerful emotion that um needs to be tended to and a lot of people don't know how to tend to it there's we've been trained in distraction in this country we've been trained to look over there we've been trained to blame we've been trained to do a lot of things but be with and so uh, a lot of anger a lot of fear a lot of these things are showing up and we this practice has has given me an ability to hold it without causing harm and so that is the next piece of this um, um, allowing the Dharma to serve as a foundation there's the internal mindfulness but how do you um, what I want to say is when you're able to be in touch with these emotions and really bring some kindness and compassion to your experience because you want to you don't want to sit there with a uh, you want to be able to touch the grief to touch the anger with friendliness with kindness with compassion it's a natural this the, these emotions are a natural response you can't help what shows up how you hold them how you work with them is your responsibility but you can't help what shows up and so there's this compassion and when we're able to connect with reality what the real experience is and bring some compassion to it the blinders fall away and we can, can begin to see um, uh, uh, what's going on and begin to show up in different ways and that's where um, Sila shows up for me the 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 practice of of uh, the second the second um, section of the Eightfold Path of uh, wise action and uh, wise speech and really it's it's kind of summed up in the precepts and um, the precepts the first precept is not to kill but it's not just sitting in your house and not killing that's pretty passive there's a there's a fuller picture of it and it's like don't just not kill but if you see suffering work to end it it's it's a call to action work to end it um, if you you know that's what it is we work to end suffering where we see it however we can do that and um, the precept about not taking what's not offered you just don't sit in your house and not steal it's about cultivating generosity how do you give and it's not just financial generosity it's about what can you do how can you get involved what makes sense for you in your life to work towards ending suffering um, and speech why speech not not lying not um, you know not causing harm with your with your communication it's not just sitting in your house and not not lying it's actually saying what needs to be said this is such an important one for me this is a foundation that has been bedrock for me because I I grew up in a I grew up in a family where it wasn't okay to say things that might not be received well so I learned to just not say anything or just be pleasant all the time and um, when you're fighting against um, things when you're fighting against injustice that doesn't work 
So practicing this has been a real foundation. And and when I'm in a place of fear, because if I'm going to say something that is, um, I'm afraid it's not going to be received well, I just kind of, my whole inside just tightens up like a pretzel. And I used to just run away or not say anything, but I know that's not, that's not this, that's not my path in the Dharma. And so I have to recognize that, bring some kindness and compassion to it and say what needs to be said anyway. This is finding foundation in the Dharma. This for me has been bedrock. Um, it's really important uh, to, to, find that place for you that makes sense. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy, um, but we have to do it. Um, and this Charles Johnson is a, he's an author and he's also a Buddhist practitioner. And he wrote about right conduct, which is wise action, that it translates Dharma into specific actions of social responsibility. It translates the Dharma into social responsibility. How do we show up in this world and make a difference when we see hatred running rampant, when we see greed running rampant, when we see this inequality, this oppression, the systemic racism and, and misogyny and, and all the the, the uh, insanity that's happening. How do we show up? There's also, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a young man in South Africa a number of years ago who he died, he was born with HIV and I think he died, he was a young teenager, he died of AIDS. And he said, do all you can with what you have in the time you have in the place you are. So as we don't, um, we don't have to be grandiose. We don't have to do, you know, super duper things. We just have to put one foot in front of the other and do what we can with where we are, with what we have. That's really important. And it's really important to recognize that it takes time. This stuff doesn't get taken care of overnight. I hear a lot of people, um, they have expectations about this work and expectations about what they need to accomplish. And then there's frustration when, when you do all this, take all this action and do all this work and it doesn't work out the way you want it to, but that doesn't mean you stop doing the work. I heard yesterday, well, yesterday, they, I think it was yesterday that the Redskins announced, they, the Washington Redskins announced they were finally gonna change their name. The, and it was yesterday in 1968 when a Native American group first brought it up. So that's 52 years that they've been trying to get the name changed on a football team. That, in the big scheme of things, that's not that huge, but it takes time for this stuff to happen. And this gentleman I mentioned earlier, the Reverend Jim Lawson, who talked about not being not becoming that you're fighting against that which you're fighting against. He's like 93, and he's still out there doing the deal. And he's not complaining about it's not fixed yet. I'm going to die soon. It's not done. He's just saying this is what we have to do. Here's the work that's in front of our face. Here's what we have to do, and it's it's inspirational and it's extraordinary.
Um, there's another teacher, some of you may know, Bhikkhu Bodhi. He's a monk, another monk, another, uh, he's translated many, many, many of the suttas. And he has a quote that uh, I found, gosh, years and years and years ago, which I still find incredibly inspirational. And he's talking about the Dharma um, and, and um, well, let me just read it instead of paraphrasing it. Shh, Kevin. Kevin saying meow. Um, if Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I am apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential. Attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite, but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that, in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives, can present only resigned quietism. It is true that Buddhist meditation practice requires seclusion and inwardly focused depth. That's the inward mindfulness. But wouldn't the embodiment of Dharma in the world be more complete by also reaching out and addressing the grinding miseries that are ailing humanity. So the Dharma is complete with this outward facing work of ending suffering where we see it. It's all about ending suffering where we see it. Um, so, so I, I mentioned a couple of ex, uh, a couple of things to be careful about. It's like watch the expectations that you have. This is Diana Winston, a teacher, wrote uh, about how to be a bodhisattva, and she said you have to think in geologic time. I mentioned that it's going to take a while. Um, do what you can, you know, with where you are. That's really important. Start where you are. You can't start anywhere else but where you are. Where are you right now? What's your internal makeup? What's your internal conditioning? Work on that. What can you do around you? Work on that. Educate yourself. Education and, and seeing the big picture perspective is so important. History is so important. Seeing the history of, of oppression. You know, that's why it was so cool. Um, reading that article by Inalio going, here's what was going on. Here's how Buddha talked about the caste system. You know, this is what it was like. This is, and, 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 and so you see this broad perspective going back 2,600 years. And see the, you know, see, understand the, um, uh, educate yourself about incarceration. And educate yourself about police. Educate yourself about all these things. It's really important to have a big picture and not necessarily just what you read on social media. It's not always true. 99% of the time, but not always. So, um, and take care of yourself. It's really important. The fifth precept is about not taking intoxicants that lead to heedlessness because that then all, all the other um, precepts are out the door. But Thich Nhat Hanh has this beautiful uh, uh, elaboration on the, on the fifth precept where he talks about watch what you ingest. Watch what you take in. P 
period, not just drinking and eating. Well, yes, drinking and eating because it does have an impact. But what do you read? What do you listen to? That's just as important. And take care of yourself. You can't you can't be fighting all the time. You have to to work and come back, work and push back. I mean, uh, move and come back. And 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 self care is really important because not causing harm includes not causing harm to yourself. That's really important. That's really important. So um, there's one other thing I want to read. I have it on my website, and this is uh, um, from Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, and she says, Much of what is taught is the acceptance of a kinder, gentler suffering that does not question the unwholesome roots of the systemic suffering and the structures that hold it in place. What is required is a new dharma, a radical dharma, that deconstructs rather than amplifies the systems of suffering, that starves rather than fertilizes, fertilizes the soil of the conditions that the deep roots of societal suffering grow in. A new dharma is one that insists we investigate not only the unsatisfactoriness of our own minds, which is internal, but also prepares us for the discomfort of confronting the obscurations of the society we are individual expressions of. It recognizes that the delusions of systemic oppression are not solely the domain of the individual. By design, they are seated within and reinforced by society. So again, that's a teaching on both. You, you really can't separate one from the other. If you separate the one, that internal only, I, you become an automaton. You absolutely become an automaton. In my, that's my opinion. Because um, that means you're just cutting off, you're, you're cutting off part of your awareness. If you don't see how you are perhaps part of the harm or that there is harm that needs to be ended, it's, um, you might be part of that. So, uh, oh, and then this last little piece I wrote a while ago, it says, our practice offers us inner resources for social action. This practice allows us to, to take it off the cushion, to do what needs to be done. Now I'm done.